Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 117 entitled, In Translation. First though, some uh, quick listener feedback. Uh, Oz Lost on Twitter said, just found your podcast, queued up 1, 2, and 3 for the commute tomorrow. Looking forward to looking back again. So I'm certainly happy to have you listening, Oz Lost. Uh, and also Dan Mulderlock, fantastic name, on Twitter, said, just started listening to the podcast, maybe five episodes in. Great show. I'm enjoying it. He says that his favorite episode, uh, I think he said, I know he said it sarcastically, was Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, then he goes on to say, I was kidding, it's, just, it's a pretty poor episode. Even though I think, Dan Mulderlock says, uh, that Jack going to Thailand helps sell the first flash forward. Uh, certainly that's something I'll keep filed away. I know for me that was just, that was an episode where I was thinking about maybe the show had jumped the shark and it was time for me to to bail on the show. But uh, we'll get to that in due course in, oh, I don't know, uh, 30 weeks or something like that. But now let's return to this episode Marty was kind enough to send in another uh, summary track, and I certainly welcome any listener who's interested to uh, get in touch with me in order to read the uh, the summary for the episode. I know a couple a uh, couple listeners have expressed some initial interest, but uh, with that, let's fire away with what Marty sent in. In translation is the seventeenth episode of the first season of Lost. In the flashbacks, Jen visits Son's father, Mister Pack to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. Jin insists he would do anything for Sun, and when Mr. Pack asks him if he would work for his car company, Jin immediately responds with a yes. Mr. Pack asks why he should allow his daughter to marry someone who would throw his dreams away so easily. Jin tells him that Sun is his dream. In the next sequence, Sun asks Jin about a honeymoon. Jin tells her that they'll be able to go after he does some management training. Jin soon gets promoted and Mr. Pack assigns him to go to Mr. Byung Han's house to deliver a message. There he tells Mr. Han that Mr. Pack is displeased. In an attempt to save his honor, Mr. Han gives Jin a puppy. This is the same dog that we've seen earlier in Sun's flashbacks. Sun prepares a candlelit dinner. However, it is interrupted by a phone call from her father. Jin goes to see Mr. Pack and discovers that the factory has been closed, and thus Jin has not delivered the message properly. Mr. Pack sends Jin along with a mercenary back to Mr. Han's house to close the deal. Before the other man can kill Mr. Han, Jin wildly thrashes him, 
informing him that the factories must open tomorrow. And oh, by the way, he just saved his life. Jin looks at his scared family and leaves. Once again, we see Jin washing the blood from his hands in the bathroom. But this time, we see the aftermath with Jin disappointed in what he was forced to do. Jin visits his father, who is still very much alive and working as a fisherman. Jin helps him with his work and apologizes for being ashamed. They talk about Sun and Jin's marital difficulties, and Jin expresses his wish to start over. In the end, Jin's father tells him to go to America and start a new life. Back on the island, Sun and Jin get into a spat over the modesty of Sun's bikini. Jin takes her by the arm and drags her along, and she falls in the sand. Michael rushes to her aid and threatens Jin, but Sun slaps Michael. He stands there shocked, and Jin and Sun just walk away. Jin asks if she is involved with Michael, and she says no. Shannon and Saeed continue their flirtations. That night, the raft is set afire, and everyone blames Jin. Sun finds Jin covered with burns, but he does not speak to her. Saeed informs Boone that it may get serious with Shannon. Boone warns him that she just might use him. Saeed then tells Shannon that it may not be a good time for them to date. This raises Shannon's ire and she goes to confront Boone but runs into Locke instead. He advises her to start a new life rather than confront Boone. Sawyer ambushes Jin while he is gathering water and knocks him out with a kick to the head. He then ties Jin up and escorts him back to the beach. Michael loses it and starts wailing on Jin. Sun, for the first time speaking in English, tells him to stop. Jin did not burn the raft. Jin's hands were burned while trying to put the fire out. Everyone is surprised she speaks English. And she goes on to attest that Jin is not a liar. Locke then says it would be unlikely that one of the survivors could burn the raft anyway. Michael concedes that the raft is gone and decides to make a new one. Sun goes to see Jin and says that she was going to leave him at the airport, but he changed her mind. Speaking in Korean, she asks him if they can start over. Jin says it's too late to start over. That night, Shannon decides to stay with Saeed, even though Boone is not real happy. Locke deduces that Walt has burned the raft and asks him why. Walt says he doesn't want to move anymore. He likes it on the island. The following day, Hurley's batteries finally give out. Sun takes a dip in the ocean. And Jin helps Michael begin work on the new raft. Thank you again to Marty for sending that in. Another wonderful job there. Uh, now let's move on to my thoughts about the episode. Uh, it opens, of course, with the eye shot from Jin. Uh, and they don't really waste time either. He just looks mournfully over the ocean and then whoosh, we're in Mr. Pike's tremendously tall but thin office. Um, it's just a bit uh, a bit uh, strange uh, choice of a place to shoot. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that they're doing it on location, that it wasn't a set because it is 
rather interesting uh, spot, but uh, it just kind of struck me as a, a bit strangely shaped for the office of this uh, you know, impressive magnate. Um, anyhow, uh, I have a note here. I wonder how one goes about getting a Korean language actor. I, I suppose it's probably just uh, through the normal Hollywood casting routes, but Anyhow, back to this episode. Uh, it's a nice bit of dialogue from Jin as to why Mr. Pike should give Jin his daughter. Uh, because, Jin says, she is my dream. That's something that we should all file away out there for uh, with use for our significant others, etc. It's just a, it's a good line there. Um, anyhow, after the flashback, Sun walks out at a distance, a distance from the camera, in a bathing suit. In the ensuing conflict, which of course is Jin wanting her to cover up, the camera reveals that we're still on the main beach. It's been that Jin was off to one side and Sun on the other, and her castaways in between. It's smart, economical, inspired camera work. Really, it's just a lovely shot. It's a great way of kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're boxed into that one perspective of Sun, but then given a little uh, leeway with the camera, we realize, uh, you know, it was a private moment in her own head, um, surrounded by the other the other survivors. Um, and also it's nice seeing Michael intervene, uh, when, when Jin is trying to get, uh, get Sun to get, get back in line, so to speak. Um, all of, all of Michael's intervention, you know, makes up for all, all the yelling that he did in the past, uh, uh, the, the, the Michael episode. Uh, maybe he is a good, good guy deep down. Um, there's also some great acting out of Sun too, uh, when she slaps Michael for intervening. With her back to Jin, and when she's looking at Michael and, of course, the camera, her face has this mournful apology on it to Michael. Uh, there's no need for English or Korean. It's just she's communicating to him uh, the sorrow and the shame and the apology that she feels that she's just had to do this, um, you know, had to do it in her own uh, perspective because she feels, of course, that she's protecting uh, Michael from Jin and Jin's temper and all the, the the awful things that Jin can do, but it's just this great moment. It's all on her face. There's no, you know, no language required. Um, moving on, seeing the Sun and Jin wedding day flashback, I was struck by two things. First, I'm pretty sure that Sun was, how do I say this? I think she was padded a bit too much, a bit beyond what the good Lord has uh, bestowed upon her. Um, so perhaps the costume person just overdid it a bit, but uh, a bit more importantly, the second thing I that, that struck me was how in shooting the series finale they had a, a son look alike, so the story goes, in a wedding dress in order to fake out the various spoiling spies uh, for the well, obviously for the for, for that final church scene um, in the finale. So it just kind of brought back that memory of uh, you know son in a wedding dress and a son look like in a wedding dress that they would uh, be using six weeks later. Um, and it was, of course, during the wedding scene that I re remembered that I had to watch all the Korean scenes, that listening wasn't good enough, typing the notes wasn't good enough. You obviously have to, to watch and read, um, which uh, it, whenever there's a Sun and Jin episode, that certainly through the years, uh, watching these episodes the first time, that was always the... Uh, <laughs> It was always this interesting moment because it's like, oh, yeah, sure. Boy, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to to Lost tonight and, you know, sit down and have some popcorn or maybe have dinner or whatever it might be if I'm watching it a, a day later. And then it's like, oh, no, no, no. No time to be eating that burrito. You have to be have to be reading on screen. 
Moving on, this isn't just all Sun and Jin. Uh, we have this wonderful moment where we have Hurley as the soul soother. So listen, I know things got kind of nasty down there at the beach, and um, I don't want to get involved in husband and wife stuff, but I figured, you know, you might need to relax. So, come on, dude, I'm trying here. Okay. You want to be an outsider? It's your business. So maybe I should have done a slightly better job setting up that clip. Uh, uh, Jin is uh, playing golf with uh, with rocks, so that's kind of the grunting you hear from him. And then Hurley uh, is inviting him to go fishing. He has, he's brought fishing rods. But at any rate, the, the big takeaway from that scene, to me, is once again, and, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, once again, here's Hurley being concerned about people's uh, emotional well-being, their their psychological well-being, their social well-being. Essentially, he wants people to do more than survive as uh, animals whose function is to uh, collect food, stay alive, you know, this sort of thing. Hurley's concern is that people be people, that they have the things that make us human, the things that make us more than mere mammals, mere animals just out to survive. He wants to bring in, I mean, not the finer things in life, but the the, the, the things that make us human, the interconnections, the ability to, to blow off some steam, to take a break, to spend time with each other. These are the things that Hurley is concerned about. And that's why, in my view, he ends up as the, the long-term protector of the island. Jack is given, you know, Jack who can handle the immediacy of the uh, uh, of the day, so to speak, as a doctor, he's the perfect protector to handle the immediacy of the 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 conclusion of the Man in Black's time troubling the island. However, Hurley protecting the island for this untold length of time. Here we see in this clip uh, evidence as to his uh, his kindness and his uh, paternal. Uh, outlook towards people. Anyhow, moving on, this episode gives breathing room to uh, to other characters too. Do you think this is going to hold? Do you have a past in the Navy you've neglected to tell me about? <laughs> Why? Well, how does a woman like you learn how to tie a perfect bowling knot? By dating guys with sailboats? That's right. In all that dating, Shannon has been around a lot of seamen. You know, naval guys who know how to run sailboats and that sort of thing. She said it, not me. Anyhow, uh, it really is a zippy episode. It, there's some great Jack Sawyer dialogue. There's progress on the raft. Sun is sharing with Kate the memories of nice gin. It's just moving along. It has a, has a nice pace to it. Um, and indeed, once the raft fire starts, there's some wonderfully energetic camera work, too. I think it's uh, a choice that most directors would make, but it, it works nonetheless. It just, you, you know, once again, it's this kind of shaky camera work. You you really feel you're in the scene. You're you're feeling the chaos. Uh, it's just well done. Um, moving on, the scene where Jin delivers the message, uh, of course, in flashback to the energy secretary. It's fantastic for two reasons. First, Jin clearly has no idea what he's gotten into. The secretary is disdainful to be interrupted, but as soon as Jin mentions Pike, 
The secretary is fearful, a sentiment that continues on for the scene. Uh, you add to that the brief view of Hurley on TV, which is something I distinctly remember seeing back in 2005 and just being like, you know, oh my goodness, what was that? Um, it, it's just, it's, it's a magical scene. Um, and of course, it ends with Secretary Han giving the puppy, uh, which he takes from his daughter, no less, and then gives the puppy to Jin. Then Jim, Jin happily re-gifts it to Sun, which I think makes evil flashback Jin even more um, even more <laughs> atrocious. I mean, although I don't know. I, mean, I suppose on the flip side, you get handed a puppy. Um, I suppose giving it to your wife in this situation is a logical uh, a logical person to give it to. But certainly in the Sun flashback, it's like, Oh, what nice guy. He got her a puppy because he's not around more. And this, it's like, oh, he threatened, you know, the Secretary of Energy in Korea. And the guy tried to kind of, you know, add a little sweetness to the pot by stealing his daughter's dog and giving it to Jin. Oh, so now Jin gave it to his wife. Obviously, it's, uh, well, it, it's a different Jin that we're seeing in this episode. Uh, moving on, there's, a, there's a, just a fantastic fantastic end to either the second act or the third act but anyhow it's Jin quietly waking up having been suspected by Michael for burning the raft we assume that it's him too it's kind of just this quiet scene it almost harkens back to the Hurley clip of um, you know if you want to be an outsider be an outsider here he is having slept alone out in the out in the, the woods type thing um and again, he, he goes to the uh, goes to the little stream to clean his hand. It's we, we assume that the wound is uh, from the fire. Then Sawyer arrives. Messed up my ride, Chief. We've talked before about how sometimes the the show really won't know how to end a scene, uh, and you'll end up with just kind of an awkward. Well, like for example. Uh, in uh, in last week's episode, there was uh, Saeed talking to Charlie about uh, kind of the stress and post traumatic stress. Uh, essentially, is what the the scene is about. And Saeed says, uh, "You're not alone." Then Saeed gets up and walks away. Uh, I think they did that, uh, as I said in last week's podcast, because they didn't know how to end the scene. With this, this is a great, just a great way to end the scene, a great way to end the act and go to commercial. Sawyer showing up, great line kick to the face or hit to the head, whatever it is, and then out. It's uh, it's nice. Um, they're uh, moving on to some other characters. There's also just a very interesting bit between Shannon and Saeed, so take a listen. Hey, there you are. Come help me with this. I'm completely destroying it. You seem to be doing just fine. Yeah, kind of making it collapse. You're very capable, Shannon. I'm sure you'd be all right building it on your own. What's going on? Perhaps you should find another friend to help you with your shelter. You've been talking to my brother, haven't you? I want to dislike this scene, but I feel like it's been earned very, very well. We've seen Boone's opposition to the Shannon Saeed coupling. We've seen Shannon being a floozy. It feels natural and organic. Uh, 
her mini story here in the episode ends with talking to Locke, who both speaks down to her and speaks up to her. He speaks down to her, uh, pardon me, he speaks down to the child in her, then reminds her that she's an adult and affirms that it is his approach to her. It's just a neat little scene all around. Uh, I think perhaps I have some sort of Shannon uh, bias, perhaps, that uh, might, might, might color my view of her, although, you know, she is presented as a pretty pathetic, a pathetic character oftentimes, but um, it's, a, it's a nice scene. It works. It's, it's character growth at the right spot at the right time. Really well done. Moving back to, uh, to Jin's flashbacks for a moment, I like that when Jin is driving the uh, assassin Tuffy guy, who's also in the employ of Mr. Pike, um, the scene is lit with very, very, very low lights. It's reflective of Jin's step into the darkness uh, for being an enforcer for Mr. Pike. It also just kind of adds to the tension. You realize he's he's trapped in the car as much as he's driving the car. He's trapped in the car with this guy. He's going down a particular road uh, doing what he does for Mr. Pike. Um, to a certain degree, Jin has made a deal with the devil um, in order to get to get Sun's hand, but now a certain part of him must realize that he's he's losing her. Um, or, you know, insofar that they had a certain connection and now that connection is failing. Um, also from this scene, there's a clip that, uh, I, I had considered using as the, the opening clip for the show, um, in part because I found it to be an amusing opening clip to the show, but I thought that it might confuse people. So I'll just briefly share it now. <laughs> So, if nothing else, that gives you a sense of my uh, my sense of humor that I almost had that as the the opening clip. But uh, as I say, I think people just would have wondered, you know, wondered what was going on. So, um, in the replay of the scene where Sun confronts Jin after the after the job, after delivering that message once again to the energy secretary. Uh, and of course, we see this time it was the, you know, the the after effects. The the blood on Jin was from the beating of the secretary. Sun does come off as the perfect little princess who has never known that there are little people who get stepped on uh, in order for her to live well. Um, which I, I mean, I'm not complaining about. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, for as sympathetic as we're supposed to be to Sun most of the time, it just adds a little a little shading that she kind of was blissfully ignorant that uh, the life that she lives with her father and now the life that she lives with her husband is uh, is made possible because of uh, because of the choices of others uh, not not her choices moving on when Michael punches Jin it's just a, a proper hit it's a proper kind of bone crunching snap you around kind of hit uh, I like to have the characters in general the characters witnessing it. Uh, they justify letting the fight take place on the beach. Both Said and Sawyer, who of course uh, are enemies uh, in a number of ways, but they both see the world in the same way yet again, uh, they both reaffirm to Jack that the Michael Jinn fight is an internal conflict that doesn't require Jack the Savior or anyone else from stopping it. Uh, indeed, what we're seeing here in the fight is, uh, as Sawyer said uh, a few scenes before it, it's a fight in the wild. It's not in civilization. Um, and of course, as they're uh, 
as their once one-sided fight escalates. Uh, of course, you know, Michael is doing all the hitting and Jin is uh, doing most of the receiving. As the scene goes on, as the fight goes on, we just feel that there's an uncivilized depravity underfoot. Uh, it's it's escalating, it's building everything, the way it's shot, the way the music is, the way the actors are reacting. It's telling us that there's just something fundamentally wrong about this. And then, of course, it reaches the climax where Sun has her little revelation. That scene is just so absolutely wonderfully shot. There's all sorts of reaction shots from those that are present. Uh, it almost feels like it's a Twilight Zone zinger uh, that we're in on, of course, but uh, the, the rest of the characters there are not in on it. It's just, uh, you know, I mean, we, we the audience are so rarely in this position to, uh, to be ahead of the characters, to be ahead of the show, uh, and to know the mystery ahead of time. But sure enough, here we are. And it's just, uh, you know, the tension builds, builds, builds. And then this kind of, uh, you know, it, it's just such a wise choice for them to take the moment and show the shock uh, across everyone's face. It just, it plays so, so great. So, so, so great. Um, and then, of course, later in that scene, there's uh, uh, a bit, well, let me back up and say, certainly there are times that I have complained about them recapping events within the episode in some sort of forced way. That's not the case later in the scene. A minute or two later, we have Locke re-emphasizing something that we all should know. Uh, if we are new viewers along the way, uh, then he certainly is in a sense recapping, but it's, uh, it certainly is the best time to be mentioning this particular fact. Why would he burn the raft? He's been after me since day one. Everybody knows it. Okay, it's personal. But why take it out on our best chance of getting off the island? Why would any one of us block an attempt to get home? We're so intent on pointing the finger at one another that we're ignoring the simple, undeniable truth that the problem isn't here, it's there. They've attacked us, sabotaged us, abducted us, murdered us. Maybe it's time we stopped blaming us and started worrying about them. We're not the only people on this island, and we all know it. It's one of the rare times that we see Locke so upset in public, and to me, I think that's what uh, that's what's so, so kind of shocking and wonderful about it. That he's just, you know, he he's sharing this emotion at the ridiculousness of what's going on, this internal squabble when there's an external force that's much much greater than Michael and Jane don't get along. Um, and, and I mean, you might be saying, well, this is strange because, uh, sure enough, I usually do beat up Locke pretty good on the podcast, but it's just, it's, you know, fantastic acting. It's a fantastic scene. And of course, it's also a bit ironic talking about preventing ways to go home since we will learn, uh, in later episodes that Locke is the one that hit Saeed in the head, uh, back when Saeed was trying to triangulate the French woman's signal, uh, as part of that whole rescue effort. Nonetheless, it's just a wonderful reminder of where the show is up to. 
there's people out there and there's a reason for everyone to band together. Um, moving on, the, the show makes a very, very, very wise decision to let the emotional center of the episode be done in English. Uh, and particularly how the English is performed. And of course, I'm talking about uh, when Sun confronts uh, Jin uh, after the fight. And um, as I say, it's, it's the climax of the episode. It's the emotional center of the episode. So take a listen to this clip, and then we will, uh, we will discuss, because you know, listen carefully now, it's crafted in a particular way that I think is, uh, is so very, very smart. So take a listen. I was going to leave you. I was going to get away. But you made me change my mind. You made me think that you still loved me. Now, I hope that you noted that her, her English-speaking voice was without the accent of imperfect English, that she's speaking in perfect English. I take that as we are hearing her speak Korean, if that makes sense. Just as we've heard, uh, like let's say uh, for Saeed flashbacks, when they all speak in English, we say, okay, wink, wink. Uh, we've done the whole tried and true cinematic thing of they speak in the language and their subtitles and they zoom into the lips and they change over to English and we say, okay, we're, we're hearing English, but it actually is, uh, is uh, Arabic, right, for the Said episodes. When we hear Sun in previous episodes speaking English to Kate, it's, there, it's heavily accented. This time it is not. It's, it's, it's basically uh, perfect English. I think that they have done that uh, so that, A, so we don't need to be reading during this, this most emotional of scenes, but also I don't think it is meant to be Sun taunting Jin, or Sun even, well, taunting Jin because she's speaking English. I don't think she is speaking English then. I think that she is speaking Korean, and we are just privy to that moment in, in, in kind of a moment of uh, cinematic editorial license. I hope that makes sense, that when you hear her speaking English, she's actually speaking Korean, despite the fact that before it and after it, she's speaking Korean, and you're hearing Korean, and it's Korean. But I, it's just something I felt so, so strongly about in rewatching the episode that, that again, it all in my mind, it all hinges on the fact that it is, you know, accentless English. Um, we're just meant to be privy to the emotional intimacy of that scene, um, which, of course, is so heartfelt. It's sad. It's desperate, and I'm glad that I could enjoy it as presented, not needing to read. Um, and I actually had wondered as a side note, too, did they do this in all the, uh, did they do this for all the non-English versions of the show? Um, furthermore, I'd wonder for the Korean version of the show, because she, uh, the actress who plays Sun is tremendously famous, that's my understanding, she's tremendously famous in Korea, um, and also, obviously, Daniel Day Kim can speak Korean, so there's a built-in huge Korean market for the show. I wonder if they just did a take that was in in all Korean, um, just to to make that uh, that edition, the Korean edition, easier. But anyhow, um, I feel very very strongly that when she spoke in English, it actually was Korean. Um, moving on, the show starts to wrap up with the uh, 
surprise in the flashbacks, the surprise of Jin visiting his not-dead father. Side note, apparently Korea looks like Hawaii. Who knew? Now it's Jin's turn to have a wonderfully heartfelt scene. And when he apologizes to his father for being ashamed of him, we see yet another example of not needing language to properly communicate, to uh, to borrow a phrase from superfan Bonnie. Um, and it concludes, you know, that scene concludes with Jin saying he needs a new start. Uh the implication being new start, head to Los Angeles, do the final job that, you know, here son was about to leave him in Sydney airport and here Jin was ready to rededicate himself to her in Sydney airport. Um, and this crash has almost gotten in the way of that. You know, son chose to stay with him. Had they, had they safely landed in Los Angeles, uh, would they have a happier life together? I mean, you think of, the precious time, precious little time that they have together. Um, oh, let's see, because this is uh, September or October in in show time. You know, in, in the timeline of the show. Uh, come, hmm, let's say you know, at a certain point, Jin is on the freighter. He, Jin is presumed dead. Uh, the three years go by of the Oceanic Six, and so on and so forth. So, uh, certainly, their love is one of the one of the great long term stories of the show. And uh, obviously, the scene where they both meet their end is just, uh, you know, a tremendously heartfelt and sad and 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 tear jerking scene uh, in season six. But uh, <laughs> had they landed, would they have had a better life, a longer a longer life, a happier life? Uh, perhaps so. I mean, let's see. As I recall, it probably would be without a child, since I think there's the implication that uh, the island's healing properties helped. Jin with his uh, little swimmer problem, but uh, other than that, who knows? One of those uh, one of those things uh, we can all speculate. But anyhow, with them heading towards this potential of a wonderful future together in Los Angeles, and with us knowing this from from Jin's flashback with his father, I was floored when we return on island and when Sun asks for this fresh start. Uh, a fresh start that Jin said he needed a month ago in show time, in, in the show timeline, and Jin the jerk walks away. I was floored. I've seen this episode multiple times. I had completely forgotten that. Kudos to the show for not taking the obvious route. Right, the obvious route would have been they fight. They've been fighting for all these episodes for seventeen episodes. Now they're finally back together. No, they decide to keep it going. Uh, or keep the you know keep the fight going um and you know it's so wonderful that they didn't take that obvious route and a route that was made all the more obvious after we see their love regrow in future episodes and future seasons they just extended a bit it's wonderful um and, and of course that all kind of fits into the theme of the episode that there's this imperfect uh you know this imperfect nature to it all the things are indeed lost in translation along the way um, and with that, well, and even, I mean, what is the island after all? The, the, there's one final clip that, that speaks to that. Uh, actually, I guess it's the second to last clip, but there's one final clip that does speak to the theme of the episode and that fits in with uh, Sun and Jin still remaining apart. So take a listen.
There's a lot that we aren't meant to like about Shannon, but she really is so heartfelt and so earnest in this scene. It is, in a sense, a rebirth of her character. Uh, ironically, it's a character that's going to be killed in less than 20 episodes. Um, moving on, in the Walt Locke scene that ends the show, we get three lovely little bits. First is the information that Locke's father was not a nice man. Locke here is uh, lit in total darkness on one side of his face. Uh, and to me, and I, I think to you, the message is clear. Locke's father was a bad man, and we're going to learn about how bad he was one of these days. Uh, the second bit of information is that Walt indeed burned the, uh, burned the raft. And third, why won't Locke tell on Walt? That's kind of something that's, that, you know, the, that bit is put forth, but it's, a, it's an unanswered question in, within this episode. Well, why? Because we will later learn that Locke is a kindred spirit. He, too, doesn't want to leave the island. That, of course, is why he hits Saeed. Um, it's, it's just one of these wonderfully compact little scenes that the show can do where it, it all kind of is fit together. It's all, you know, it just it fits so wonderfully into the, into the, uh, the general flow of the show. Uh, you know, looking back, Locke's father, they're going to cover that. The fact that Walt did it, well, that answers this week's mystery. And then the, the kind of the, the general mystery, you know, if you don't ever put two and two together, that Locke won't tell on Walt because they both want to stay on the island, uh, you know, then fine. It's, it's one of these mysteries and lost where if you don't get it, you don't get it. So be it. But when you do, it just, it just shows the craft of the, uh, of the series. And then moving on, finally, the final scene starts with a frustrated Michael at the burned raft. Jin appears, bamboo in hand, and then, after almost 17 complete episodes of Lost, he gets his first English dialogue. What? With Hurley walking into the scene, we get the music that he's listening to on his uh, headphones uh, and CD player. Uh, we get that to take us to the end of the episode, along with a freed son. And now he's able to go swimming in a bikini. Uh, certainly she looks a bit lonesome standing there, but she also, uh, you know, there's this new sense of freedom, I'm, I'm sure, that we're meant to feel uh, feel good for her. Um, feel a bit nervous for her, kind of out on her own now, but certainly uh, we're meant to feel that that the trapped woman that we've seen for 17 episodes now finally has a certain sense of freedom. Uh, there's also a montage of other characters. Claire and Charlie happily together. Saeed and Shannon together. Uh, all it seems is good. Uh, Hurley is surveying the, uh, surveying the beach around him. It appears to be just a very happy ending to an episode. I'm sure there's been some, some loss along the way with Jin, but uh, as with other kind of music montages that have ended the show, uh, we're just kind of meant to feel to feel good about this one. It's been uh, a rough run the last couple episodes, and uh, finally we're able to end on this slightly more positive note, all courtesy of Hurley. And then Hurley's music player stops. It's a reminder that this is not a happy place where happy things remain. This is a place where trouble's afoot. 
and thus ends a great episode, one that has the right kind of flashback, the right kind of island story, the right kind of foreshadowing for things to come. It's just, uh, it's a very solid episode, and uh, although it's the only Jin flashback that the entire series has, it's one that just kind of ends with that, ends with that sense of white noise and uh, emptiness, and as I said, just a reminder that this is not a this is not a happy place. This is not overall a happy show. It might be life affirming in the end, but it's a tough life along the way. Luckily, though, our podcast is not over. Um, as always, I invite anyone who's interested to uh, share comments about upcoming episodes uh, that they can get in touch with me and see what episode I am podcasting. Somebody who's taken a uh, big advantage of that is Bonnie, the super fan of the show. Uh, she'd emailed me, oh, four or five days ago about this episode. And uh, here's what Bonnie had to say about 117 in translation. Quote, there's an overriding theme of truth being a matter of perspective. It changes from one person's vantage point to another's. It's also uh, fluid, altering shape and meaning as viewed through the lens of time. And then uh, Bonnie goes on to say, quote, as an aside, did you know that a memory continually distorts the more often you trot it out for a review? The mechanics baffle neuro neurobiologists, but people have more accurate recall of rarely thought about events than those that they dwell on. Uh, certainly a neat little tidbit, particularly given, uh, well, given the fact that we all are uh, working to remember the show. I suppose it's rather depressing that with, with each review of the episode, my memory of it uh, diminishes. But uh, also, I mean, it's just interesting. Uh, you know, I recently uh, rewatched The Constant on the, uh, the one-year anniversary of the show's, uh, you know, uh, of the final episode. I, I chose to watch The Constant for, for fun. I'll podcast it in, you know, 20 or 30 weeks whenever that one rolls around. Well, I suppose it's the beginning of season four, so a bit, bit, bit past that. But... Um, yeah, there certainly are memory aspects to the show. Um, but uh, thank you once again, Bonnie, for sharing your information. I welcome any fan to uh, to send me an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail dot com. Uh, if if you would like to chat ahead of time about episodes, uh, an episode you've just watched or whatever it might be, and uh, hopefully your comments will end up on the podcast. Let's now do a little fact checking on Lostpedia to see any little bits or pieces uh, that I might have missed. Lostpedia says, during the flashback scene where Jin first visits Byung Han, his daughter is briefly seen watching TV, as we noted. Hurley is on screen from when the press conference, uh, pardon me, from when the press first identifies him as the lottery winner. These events are shown in detail during his flashback in Everyone Hates Hugo. Uh, Lostpedia also says that this is the only Jin-centric episode. All his other centric episodes are multi-centric, either with Sun or a larger group. Uh, they go on to say, when Michael sees Jin kneeling on the beach and runs toward him, accusing him, of burning, accusing him of burning his raft, and many other characters come out yelling, we hear English from Jin's point of view, and it sounds very foreign. It is, in fact, the exact same dialogue as was already heard, just played backward. So there you go. Uh, they go on and say that Jin gives Sun the puppy he got from Byung Han, uh, but they, this time there's a continuity error, apparently. Uh, the next day, when he arrives home after delivering the message, Bopo the dog is already full grown. And I think, I haven't gone back and rewatched uh, the House of the Rising Sun episode, but I think that is a legitimate uh, mistake that Lostpedia has. 
Uh, and then the last bit from Lostpedia um, is this. Lostpedia suggested that Sawyer calls son Betty in reference to Betty White. Now that makes no sense to me. I did some digging, and on the Fuselage website, a poster named Zariah said, well, there is the Bangkok Betty reference. Apparently GIs called the Good Time Girls this. But also apparently Betty was one of Bruce Banner's love interests in the Hulk comics. When Sawyer called Jin Bruce, it might have been it might have meant the Hulk due to Jin's explosive rage against Michael, or it could have been uh, Bruce Lee as most assume. So a little Sawyer uh, nickname business there. With that, we now officially start to wrap up. Next week's episode will be 118 numbers, the Hurley episode. By the way, starting uh, by the time you are listening to this, new episodes will be hitting the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Fridays. Uh, Given the one asterisk to that might be, you know, given whenever iTunes picks up the feed either from my website or Lost Podcasting Network, it might inch over to a Saturday, but now it's going to be me putting them in all three places uh, at the same, the same point, so you can be circling your calendars every Friday or possibly Saturday for you know wherever you're getting the episode, the website, my iTunes feed, or the LPN feed. You can look forward to it on Fridays and Saturdays. If you'd like to send feedback, you can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email, text, or voice message to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the website lookingbackatlost.podbean.com and of course you can find the show on iTunes where reviews are always appreciated so with that thank you very much for listening once again and I will see everyone next week for episode 118 entitled Numbers take care bye bye maybe we should get some rope spend a Saturday night alone together and see what happens